Happy Mother's Day to everyone. My kids are a little bit sad because they had presents already made for mom. And so like, you're gone during Mother's Day. And we almost even forgot about Mother's Day. We're like, uh, yeah, I guess so. <laughs> and so they are missing mom. They're missing Evie. We talked to them yesterday. And the first question they asked when they all three got on the phone is, can I talk to Evie? <laughs> or like, like, we, we brought you into this world. Like, we created you along with the Heavenly Father. Like, can you say, at least say hi to us before you say hi to Evie? But I love that as a father. I know that there's three wonderful boys looking after my little daughter. And so, I'm not sure if we have a picture of my family. Uh, th- there we do. This is us. So just to give you a quick overview, picture who we are. The one in the blue, he's our oldest. That's Malachi. He's eight, he'll be nine in September. He's our, the traditional firstborn competition is brewed into everything that he does. So first one to shower, first one to brush his teeth, first one to do everything. He is a man full of passion. He loves the Lord, he loves his brothers. He, uh, we almost don't know how to deal with him because I'm the second born, my wife is the second born. We're like, how do we deal with so much intensity? And so he's... Wonderful, though. He loves the Lord. He loves telling people about the Lord. He's led some of his peers to the Lord already, and so he's just, uh, he just, he just loves Christ. And so our second one is Zion. He's the one that we understand. He's our, our passive one. He's our, uh, he's so gentle and so kind and full of love, and he is such a sweetheart, as you can see by that wonderful smile. Uh, he is six, he'll be seven in September. Jude, he's our youngest one, the, the entertainer of the bunch. You need a laugh, you want to have a smile, you just have fun with Jude, have time with him, and he will put a smile on your face. Uh, he's three, and he'll be four in October. And so you can see with those birthdays, we, we didn't plan very well, so we've got three birthdays in a month span. We are poor by the end of October, and so, and we've had so many birthday parties. This is why I'm bald, and so this just happened once we started having kids. Uh, the intensity, the, the jumping, the running, and so I don't know if I can handle it all the time. So, before we get in, I just want to pray uh, before we start here. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this day. We thank you that we can all come together and celebrate you. Lord, this is all about you. This is, this is nothing about me or my wife. Uh, and so the message today isn't a message to get people on board so that I can be here, my wife can be here. Lord, I just want to bring the word of Christ. So we are transformed once again by the living word. That's our heart, Lord, to meet with you, to not leave the same as we came in. And so, Father, I thank you for, Lord, your word and how it molds and shapes our hearts. And so let these words that I say, let them be yours. Lord, let them be straight from your throne room. And Lord, we pray that your spirit comes, Lord, and that that we're not just filled with head knowledge, Father, but Lord, our hearts are pointed to you. And so again, Lord, you are good, you are gracious, and I thank you that we can gather as a body today. In your name we pray. Amen. So it's unique in the sense that I'm sharing really about my heart, the things that uh, Christ has laid 
and I find really valuable to him, like when the things that really get me going, like and excited about being in this body of believers. And so if you can turn with me to Luke chapter 11, and we'll read from verses 5 to 10. And it said, Then he said to them, Suppose one of you has a friend, and he goes to him at midnight and says, Friend, lend me three loaves of bread, because a friend of mine on a journey has come to me, and I have nothing to set before him. Then the one inside answers, Don't bother me. The door is already locked, and my children are with me in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, though, he will not get up and give him the bread because he is the, his friend. Yet because of the man's boldness, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. He who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, the door will be open. Luke, in his gospel, he almost goes out of his way to show us that the source of even Jesus' power is prayer. We see in John 5, 19, it says, I don't do anything by myself. I only do what I see the Father doing. That means Jesus' ministry wasn't under his own initiative. Jesus depended on the power of God in him and through him. And that was a power that Jesus assessed or accessed through prayer. So what Luke does is he shows us that Jesus' entire life, every stage, was saturated with prayer. In Luke, we see Jesus praying at the baptism. We see him praying through his, redemption, through, through his, his temptation. Jesus often got alone to pray. Jesus spent the whole night in prayer. Before Jesus presented the disciples with the do or die question, he spent the morning and afternoon in prayer. Luke tells us that Jesus taught his disciples to always pray. Jesus commanded his disciples to pray so that they won't fall into temptation. Even Jesus' last breath, how it was portrayed in Luke, is a prayer. So even after Jesus, though, the Gospels, and even after the Gospels, we see that the early church was saturated in prayer. There was prayer was just so focused on. In every chapter of Acts, you can find them in prayer. It was fundamental to the early church. For some churches in our current age, it has become supplemental. It is considered a ministry to help out the other ministries, instead of being viewed as the ministry unto itself. Because prayer needs to be at the forefront of everything we do. It's us connecting to the Father. It's us reminding ourselves that we need Him, that He is ready to speak, that we need to come to Him before we make decisions. So let's get back to Luke to chapter 11. We see the disciples ask Jesus. They ask him this, teach us to pray. All they've seen, all they've experienced with Jesus, they ask him, teach us to pray. They didn't ask, teach us how to do miracles. Teach us how to preach. Teach us how to serve. They asked him, teach us to pray. Jesus, teach us to pray. 
Because they saw this as the source of Jesus' power. This was the source. This is how he was able to perform the things that he did through the Father, through prayer, connecting him to his heavenly Father. Now let's point some things out in this parable. Let's give some context to the parable. Hospitality is huge at this time. So it was rude to turn away someone who showed up at your door. You don't want to send a friend away hungry during this time. You invite them in. You, have, you sit down with them. You have conversation with them. In a country without electricity, midnight is really the middle of the night. For us in college students, on a weekend, midnight still means I have one more hour before I got to go inside to the dorm. So these people went to bed at sundown, and therefore midnight means he has been asleep for at least three to four hours. He is in his bed with his children. And for those who have young children, like, that's like my every night. <laughs> like, I have kids. It's like, who's in the bed tonight? Who's kicking me in my face right now? And it's not Kim usually. It's usually one of our other kids. And so they lived in a one-bedroom house, and everybody slept in that room together. Think about that. Sounds, sounds fun, right? So if someone is knocking on my door at midnight, after we finally... Okay, after Kim has finally gotten Evie to sleep, it better be something good. But the guy who's knocking doesn't even have an emergency. His wife isn't dying. His house isn't on fire. His Wi-Fi hasn't gone out. The guy simply ran out of some rye bread. He's like, oh, I forgot to make some today. Oh, geez. I'm going to go ask my neighbor. Another thing to know about the context of this parable is the request is exorbitant. It's huge. It's massive. He asked for three loaves of bread. Three loaves. One loaf of bread that time was enough to feed a family for a day. So to ask for three was a big, big, big request. So with that in mind, we see that the scripture says that the guy, right, he said, he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend. He's like, I'm not going to get up because he's my buddy. And let's be honest, the friendship is it's, it's on thin ice right now. But because of his boldness, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. You know some of the boldest people in my life? My children. They ask me for some of the most audacious things. Video games. They want their own baseball field, my, my oldest one's like, Dad, I need my own baseball field. How can I even do that? They want to go to Hawaii every month. Dad, can we go to Hawaii? No. Dad, can we go to Saskatoon and stay for the whole week? No. It's so bold to ask me for things. And they ask with a smile. They want anything they lay their eyes on in the store. Dad, that is, I need this. I literally am, I've wanted this for my whole life. <laughs> so bold to ask for the things. They're the boldest people I know. 
The other night, Zion came into the room and asked for water. Zion is very patient, as I said, kind, and he's a bit passive, whereas Malachi comes into the room, flops on you, makes himself at home. Zion will stand there and watch you. It's kind of creepy. I, I, I understand that. And after a while, he'll gently tap you on the shoulder. Sometime your parent senses kick in, and you can sense that someone's right there, and you can feel him right there in your face. And he says this, Dad, Dad, I need a glass of water. Now let's think about this. If anybody else comes into your room in the middle of the night and gets in your face and asks you for a glass of water, inevitably somebody is going to jail. <laughs> I'm calling Mike. Mike, come help me. This guy's in my house. He's asking me for water. He's not my kid. Come get him. So as the father of the year, I do what any good father does. You know where the water is. Go get it yourself. <laughs> Just kidding. I help him. He has come into my room. He needs me. He asked me for a cup of water. He has come with boldness, knowing that he, I am his father. Usually in a parable, there's a character that repre represents us, and there's a character that represents God. So as this parable is being spoken to them, the disciples, they're, they're listening, trying to figure out, which one is us? Like, who am I in this parable? They're like, we are probably the guy asking for the bread. Because he has a need, and that's like us. We have a need. So that would make God the sleeping, stingy friend who can't open his door once it is locked? What Jesus is doing in this parable, and this is really huge, huge. It isn't to compare God to the sleeping friend, but to contrast God to the sleeping friend. It is like he is saying, even if a sleeping, stingy friend will eventually get up and give you your request, how much more will your heavenly Father, who loves you and cares for you and constantly watches over you, how much more will he get up and come to you when you come to him in prayer? How much more will he do it? If a sleepy, stingy friend will, how much more will God do it for us? Like Zion in our house, we are invited into the Father's room at any moment of the night and can come to him with whatever need that we have. We have, have, just have to boldly enter the room knowing that the person we are going to see will answer. And he always does. And I'm passionate about prayer. This is what excites me. Because we as his children, we have every opportunity to connect with the Father. He is awake and attentive and ready to speak. I believe in a body of believers and a desire for the, and I have a desire for the believers to have a heart for prayer. Because we can come to him whenever we can ask for that cup of water not knowing that we're not going to be sent out or someone's going to come and get us and rip us out of the room. I am passionate about discipleship. We see this throughout the Gospels. Discipleship has always been an important aspect in that time. It was very important back in the time of Jesus. Everyone wanted somebody to disciple them. Everybody wanted somebody to, that they can follow. 
they longed for what was called a rabbi. Once someone had a disciple, they had a, when they had a rabbi, they did whatever they could to be like their rabbi. They would cut their hair to look just like their rabbi. We see that funny looking cut where there's bald in the middle and this right here, they wanted to be like their rabbi. They would walk behind the rabbi at a distance and they would mimic him to have his walk. So they, they people would think that they would know Oh, that person is that guy's rabbi because, or that person is that guy's disciple because he walks like him. And this is how you would know that whose rabbi you belong to. The level of copying was so high that they even hid under the bed as the rabbi was asleep. So they could be close to their rabbi. So they can even know how they slept. And they would say this, this too is Torah. No, this too is creepy. This too is not right. If someone's sleeping under my bed because they, they want to be like me, I am not going to be happy. Nobody's going to be happy. But this is how they saw discipleship. So important to be like the one that they followed. Can you remember those moments in your walk with Christ? that were momentous. They were huge. Those things when you conquered something in your life, where you stepped over into a new, deeper walk with him. The moment you got saved, maybe that was. There's someone usually on the other side of that. Someone telling you about the gospel. Maybe it's your parent. Maybe it's a fr- co-worker, a friend. Someone who walked with you when, when you were rejecting Christ, maybe. There was somebody on that other side. How about those moments in your walk with Christ where you experienced growth? Those hurdles you finally cleared that you were stumbling over for many years. There is something we can picture. There's, there's someone we can usually picture who helped us clear those hurdles. Someone who gave advice on what to do next. Someone who sat and prayed with you. Somebody you called on and they would come over. Somebody maybe watch your kids when you're having a tough time. In our walk, there's usually someone on the other side walking with you. Not just Christ. Someone being Christ in your life. Because discipleship, it really comes in two forms. Being a disciple that makes disciples happens in these two ways. First, we're called to evangelize. Evangelism is telling people who don't know Jesus what it means to follow Jesus. We do this by proclaiming and portraying the gospel in our neighborhood and among the nations. We must never forget that God has placed us in families and workplaces and circles of friends that we have uh, ability to speak into. The second aspect of making disciples is helping other believers grow in Christ. Jesus has designed his church, his body, a kingdom of citizens and a family who actively builds each other up into the fullness of Christ. He wants us to grow together. He wants us to be there for each other. He wants us to have a shoulder to cry on. He wants us to pray for each other. He wants us to disciple others, to be the body, to be like he was when he walked the earth with his twelve. 
The body of Christ isn't meant to simply exist for us to gather together on Sundays and then move along with our lives the rest of the week. God's word paints a picture of believers doing life together. Life together. Seeking counsel and discipleship is one way to invite others into our life, to be open, to be honest, to be vulnerable. Most of the time, people won't know the details of our life unless we you know, are willing to share them. Being willing to be discipled by, another one, by somebody else provides an opportunity for prayer, mutual encouragement. We want to pursue one another because we are members of his body, and this excites me so much. I love coming alongside of people and doing life with them. It's what we enjoy at the Bible school. We enjoy being there for others. To see them grow, you know, growth is amazing when you can look back and see where people, the things that they've accomplished in a year or two years. Man, it's what Christ has called us to do. Let's turn to John chapter 13, verses 1 to 5. And it says, It was just before the Passover feast. Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave his, this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. The evening meal was being served, and the devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot, son of Simon, to betray, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Couple things to point out here in verse 4, we see Jesus take off his outer clothing and wrap a towel around his waist. Essentially, Jesus took off his clothes and got down to his loincloth, aka his underwear. And this was the attire of a slave in that time. I'm not going to demonstrate it here, don't worry. He wrapped a towel around his waist. A towel long enough that he could place their foot. If he was sitting here and he had the towel around, he could sit. And he could place his foot, their foot, right there on his lap. And then he would pour water and then they placed their foot. And I think my kids' feet are bad. Uh, because it's summertime, he's in there, they don't want to wear shoes. I don't know what they bring into the house. Imagine the disciples' feet. They walked everywhere. So he poured it, and then 12 disciples, he, he cleaned their feet right on his lap. The rabbi never, ever, ever does this. The rabbi is the one getting his feet cleaned by his disciples. There's nothing really said until Peter says something. And just imagine how quiet it was and how shocking it was. For the one that they're following, he's washing their feet. And of course, Peter, we know Peter, he likes to talk. And he's the one to say something. In discipleship, there's a cost that takes place. And we can see with Jesus, he opened himself up to his disciples 
and was vulnerable with them. In his action, he showed himself as a slave and showed them what to do for others. And for the disciples, there was humility that took place. They're looking at the one who is teaching them, the one that they love, their rabbi, who is doing the job that they should be doing. And he's doing it as a slave, nonetheless, Jesus, down in his loincloth. He's, he's cleaning their feet. Cost of discipleship, is, it's high. For us, it doesn't look like taking off our clothes and washing someone's feet. I hope it doesn't look like that. I really do. It can look like sacrificing our time for a visit, opening up our homes even when it's a bit out of order after a busy week, waking up early to meet with a young father or mother who's struggling, telling your neighbor about Christ. Discipleship is about us dying to ourselves for the other. 1 John three sixteen. For this is how we know love, that he gave himself up for us as a living sacrifice, that we must do the same for others. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said that when Christ calls a man, he bids them come and die. And Jesus said it even better. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me, he cannot be my disciple. And one, any one of you who does not renounce all that he cannot, all that he has cannot be my disciple. Let me repeat that. Anyone who, of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Discipleship is so important. It's so biblical to help non-believers come believers, but to also help believers become mature believers. But to a further extent, it helps mature believers to keep growing and keep maturing. Have you ever asked your kid, or have you ever asked yourself this question, what would happen if I didn't do that? You know, sometimes we count the cost, like, if this happens, it, like, I might, uh, it, I might get rejected. But if, it, if I don't ask, I would never know. The cost of discipleship. We see this one day as Jesus was leaving town. A young man ran up to him, dropped on his knees, and blurted out, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? It turned out this man was both wealthy and religious. I imagine most observers assume God blessed the man's piety with wealth. But something troubled him. Something wasn't right. So he came to Jesus for the answer. And Jesus loved him for his earnestness. So he gave him the answer in the form of an invitation. He said, you lack one thing. Go and sell all that you have and give to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven. And come follow me. This invitation devastated the young man. Suddenly, he understood he could not serve God in money. And the result was he walked away sorrowful because the cost was too high for him. But what about the cost of non-discipleship? On another day, while walking through Jericho, Jesus saw a short man sitting in a sycamore tree. Zacchaeus was also wealthy, but religious, not so much. I doubt most observers considered Zacchaeus' wealth to be God's blessing. Since he was a Roman tax collector and a fraudulent one at that. But something troubled and intrigued this man enough to make him climb a tree to get a glimpse of Jesus. When Jesus saw him up there, the Spirit moved him to say, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house. The result of this encounter was that 
Zacchaeus also suddenly understood he could not serve God in money. The result, he joyfully gave half of his wealth to the poor and repaid his fraud victims four times what he had taken. I imagine there was not much left over for Zacchaeus, but the cost of being a non-disciple was too high. We hear these two stories, and we think that this is about making a first commitment to Christ. But as we look deeper, it comes down to what we treasure the most. One treasure, Christ, and the other didn't. One out of what we treasure, our decisions will follow. I have a desire, I treasure the Lord, and to see disciples made, to see people grow, to see people come to know Christ. Because like me, I was floundering. I didn't know what it meant to be a disciple, a boy from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, struggling through life. But I can see the people on the other side who spoke to me, who came alongside of me, who made me grow into the person I am today, who challenged me. A body of believers. Someone who said, you know what, I see that you want to become in ministry. Why don't you go to Portland, Oregon for Bible college? It's like, in Oregon? No way! But he challenged me, and I felt the calling, and I went. This is what the body is like. So I'm a passionate about discipleship, because it is what Christ calls us to do, to go and make disciples. It's who we are. I'm going to pray, and I'm going to pass it off to whoever's next. <laughs> Thank you again. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this body. Lord, and I thank you for all the good things that I've heard and that I've seen. Lord, I thank you that you love us all. You call us to grow deeper with you. And Lord, I thank you that prayer is a way that we can. Discipleship not only challenges the one that we're discipling, but it also challenges us to grow deeper to you. And so, Heavenly Father, I thank you for the joy that you bring, for the heart that you showed in your, your son, Jesus Christ. So let us be more like you, Jesus. Let us go out and tell others about you. Lord, let us find someone to disciple. Lord, let us be discipled. Lord, let us pray constantly unto you. Lord, because those are things that please you. And so, Father, again, bless the rest of our time.